Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, thanks again for having me for week two here of Psalm 23. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. And, and for those of you who don't know, my name is Tucker. Um, I am the ministry director for Serving Leaders Ministries. Um, our uh, mothership is in Westchester. My office is in Willow Grove and serve really all of the Philadelphia region. We provide encouragement, care, counseling for pastors and ministry leaders and, and, and normal people too. Um, uh, we have about 25 counselors on staff and... Um, uh, and, and so that's the connection that I, I've uh, been able to develop with you all and with other churches in the area. So again, thanks for having me. Um, it's a joy to be with you, especially today. It's sunny. It's glorious outside. Last week it was raining and it was getting a little bleak there for me. And so praise God for, for this good day. Um, and last week we started looking at Psalm 23 and focused on who it is that cares for us. And we looked a little bit, just peeked at Mark 6, and we saw that Jesus is our good shepherd. Uh, he cares for us. He feeds us. He, he teaches us and leads us. And today we're going to get a bit more of a detailed picture of our shepherd's care. So let's pray as we begin to go through this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your grace to us. It's new every morning, and there's... Days like this, Lord, where the blue sky and the sun and the warm is a reminder, Lord, that um, you are ever-present, even on those dreary days, Lord. But on a day like today, it's a gift, Lord, just as all days are, a special gift. And so we thank you for this time that we have together. I thank you for your church, Lord, that, that we can worship together and, and approach your throne of grace, Lord, and you provide what we need. So bless now um, this time. As we look at Psalm 23, would you draw us to yourself? Would your Holy Spirit fill us, give us wisdom and ears to hear? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a story. Um, some of you maybe remember this. This is from a number of years ago. There was a young lady in Arizona. Her name was Shy. She was a special needs girl, freshman, starting her freshman, uh, freshman year of high school. And from day one, because she looked a little bit different, talked differently, the kids at the school would pick on her mercifully, unmercifully, mercilessly. <laughs> they were bullies. Uh, they were bullies to her. They were cruel to her. And I wonder, as I was, I was reading the story again, I wonder if Shy, whether, I don't know if she was a Christian or not, I wonder if she was, did she ask, does Jesus really care about me? 
Does he know? Does, does he love me? Is he looking out for me? And I don't know what was going through her head, but it was painful. And one day, after many days of coming home despondent, she came into her family's home and ran by her mother crying, sobbing, went to her room, slammed the door, and just wept and wept. And finally, her mom was able to get it out of her what had happened, how the kids were picking on her and being so cruel to her. Now, because of Shai's special needs, um, from the time she had been born, life had been rough for this family. And I wonder if Shai's mom and dad um, had moments of, where is God? Does he, does he care what we're going through? Does he care for Shy, our little girl, and the hurt that she experiences every day? We'll come back to Shy in just a second, but as we think about that question of does God care? Does God really know me and love me? Uh, there's a theologian, 20th century theologian, Karl Barth. He wrote this massive four-volume set, six million words, um, called uh, Church Dogmatics. And somebody asked him in an interview, can you tell us what it's about? What's the summary? And his response, I mean, he's a very smart guy. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's his response to what this huge book was about. And we learned that song as little kids, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yet, we often, sometimes big people, can be, be really tired and cynical and we forget. or We just don't feel very loved or lovable. And um, perhaps you need to hear this again today, what is most true. For the Bible tells us, God delights in you. He's pleased with you. He sings over you. Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead for you. He intercedes even now on our behalf for us. And more than that, God dwells in our hearts through faith. So God is leading, shepherding, guiding, and God is not merely uh, transcendent and throned above the heavens. He's imminent. He's close, so close. Personal. And he loves you dearly. Now, the texts that support this claim, we could look throughout Scripture. But we're going to camp out in Psalm 23. And what does the word say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. All right. First Sunday of the month, Doodle Sunday, best Sunday of the month maybe. Every Sunday, by the way, when I was a kid, maybe I mentioned this last time I was here, every Sunday was Doodle Sunday, and we didn't even have Doodle Sunday. But Doodle Sunday, kids, this is what I want you to do. I want you, and, and talk to mom and dad if you need help here. This is going to be a bigger picture. Draw a landscape. So this is going to be kind of big, a landscape, and I want that landscape to include a mountain, so think of Bob Ross, right? Mountain, maybe some happy little trees. And a meadow, like a grassy flat area with a stream running through it. That's, a, that's kind of a tall order. But can we do this? Can I get at least one thumbs up or an amen? Yeah. Oh, good job, buddies. All right, you got it. You ha have at it. All right, let's look at this. Verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall 
not be in want. We have here a pledged relationship. Now, last week we talked about these green pastures that Jesus leads us to, how our shepherd feeds us and gives us peace and rest. And we read, he restores my soul. Right? So in Mark 6, the feeding of the 5,000, it was always about more than just getting your, your bellies filled. It's more about just physical hunger that's being satisfied. It's about restoration, fullness, completeness. And God provides spiritual renewal and he commits himself, pledges himself to that. He feeds, he provides rest and drink, but he, he gives us deeper renewal. Renewal for the spiritually desolate. And sometimes as big people, we can feel that. We're tired, we're cynical, we're cranky, curmudgeonly. And, and man, does anybody really care? He pledges to do this for our good and for his glory. And this restoration pro project process, it's ongoing. There was a, a, another 20th century pastor by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my preaching heroes. And, and the good doctor went to this church in a Welsh village, and it was a small church. And he, he preached, and everybody was lovely to him and very thankful that the good doctor would come. Um, but there was one guy there who, when... Dr. Lloyd-Jones arrived, just didn't even say hello, just kind of gave him a, a terse head nod. And then during the message, this grumpy old man, he stood in the back like this with a scowl on his face. And then after the service, didn't really even say goodbye to Dr. Lloyd-Jones. Um, he just complained a little bit about what he had said in the sermon. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones asked one of the other elders, the leaders of this church, you know, thank you. This is wonderful to be with you. But can you tell me that I think I've offended this poor chap some way. Um, he does not like me. And the elder said to him, um, yeah, he's difficult, but you should have seen him five years ago. He was impossible then. Now, this is true in some measure for all of us who are followers of Jesus. We're different people than we were five years ago. God is changing us, transforming us, restoring us. It's a part of the restorative process. And we're doing this at different speeds, and so we can get annoyed with each other. But we understand, no, God, I need your restoration. Continue to restore me. And you pledge to do this. You promise to do this. That's the hope that we have, God working in us and, and leading us to these green pastures and still waters and providing for us. If you've been a Christian for a year, five years, 20 years, 50 years, you need restoration. I need restoration daily. Now, as we read this passage, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Well, we are called to pursue righteousness, holiness, doing what is pleasing to God for the sake of our flourishing. It's like this is good for God giving us this direction. Come this way. It's for your good. But it's also for Christ's glory. Lord, be glorified in me today. It's a great prayer to pray every morning. Be glorified in me today. In the way I treat others. In how I think and act and talk. Be glorified. What we do matters for our own joy and flourishing as followers of Jesus, but also for the Lord's name's sake, for his glory. So 
this is a calling for us. Yes, God, you're pledging to do this. And as a recipient of your grace, I want to live in such a way to, we're called to be a serious people, continually holding fast to our Lord, following him, sitting at his feet, listening to him, being nourished by him, restored by him for our good and his glory. Now, that's the Lord's pledge as we're on this journey that we go through in Psalm 23. We read in verse 4 then that the journey can be dark, scary. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All right, kids, round two. Hope you're doing okay with your landscape painting. This is going to be something that you add to what you've already started, all right? So if you have one mountain, I want you to add another mountain kind of next to it. Between those two, I want you to put a trail, like a, like a walking trail. And um, I want you to make it spooky, scary. And I don't know what, what would be scary for you. Um, for me, that would be clowns and snakes and Shetland ponies. But whatever it is, it's spooky. It's scary. Lightning and old crows flying around. All right. This, this valley of the shadow of death. Here we get to it. We still have rough patches. Last week I had mentioned, oh yeah, this is all good. Jesus cares about us. But why is there still pain and sin and suffering in my life and, and, and towards me by others, the sin of others? Well, this is where we remember, okay, God is leading. If we find ourselves in the valley, God is the one who leads us even there. So our job, even in the valley, is to stay close to the Savior. And the path is narrow. It's dangerous. It's easy to flip, slip off either side. And we note this change from the third person pronoun of he, his, to the second person pronoun, you, God, you, God, you're the one who has to comfort me. You're the one who has to be with me. Our job is to stay close to the Savior. When it's dangerous and we're in the valley, Jesus is still leading us. Our good shepherd is still leading us, but not so much ahead of us, but right, right next to us. He's going to protect us. Now, this word for shadow of death, it's just one word in, in the Hebrew, salmavet, and it can mean darkness or crisis. It can even mean death. Um, my older kids take the train to West Philadelphia pretty much every day and in uh, Center City. Um, and... Maybe all, if you've been on SEPTA trains recently, you, you know this. Um, weird things happen on SEPTA, especially after 10 p.m. When I, when I was doing that every day for about five years, um, the freaks would come out, but that would be later in the night. Now it's like a 24-7 endeavor. It's a scary thing. And, and when you're on the train, you're riding, and some dude makes eye contact with you, and you're crowded into the train, and there's no place you can go, and he starts yelling at you, screaming at you. This actually happened to one of my kids. And there's, what are you going to do? You can't change cars. You can't get off the train. It's moving. And, 
the only thing that really alleviates the stress is when the train stops and you just got to take it or those moments when you say, oh, a cop just got on. I'm going to be okay. It's scary, but I'm going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Now, we could say this, yeah, the world writ large is a septa train. It's a scary place. And in a broken world, we're going to feel the impact of sin on our everyday lives. But we have a guide, a chaperone. Your escort is with you is what this passage is saying. And he's armed. And nothing on this planet or in this cosmos can overcome him. Therefore, nothing can overcome you who belong to him, the sheep of his pasture, not even death. We may be scared, and it's called the valley of the shadow of death for a reason. It's a scary place. But there are worse things than death, friends. There's the absence of one to go through death with you. The absence of one who's victorious over death, who leads you to the other side. Without that, there is only despair. Scary world, despair. Jesus pledges to protect our souls, to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. And then we get to verse 5. The danger turns to blessing. In spite of the darkness, in spite of the chaos, in spite of the death even, we read, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, it overflows. Even in the scary bits, even in the valley, we can experience the abundance of God's provision and protection. Now, I think maybe a bit of context helps here as we we contemplate that because in some ways that should blow our minds. But bear, bear in mind that in the ancient world and later in the Roman world, the gods, small g, gods, were believed to be capricious, fickle. Um, some days they favored you, some days they didn't. Their moods would change. Their behavior towards you would change. And so you would do whatever you could to appease the gods, make them happy. Sacrifice an animal or a human. Recite the appropriate incantation. Supply the small g God with gifts, food. Judaism turned that all around. And in Judaism, and later in Christianity, we find that God is unchanging. The true God, capital G God, is unchanging. You're the same yesterday and today and forever. God is not controlled or manipulated by human actions. God doesn't need anything from us. If he did, he wouldn't tell us. So. 50. Rather, the Bible tells us that humans are the ones who are wildly fickle. Our hearts are corrupt. And that if God doesn't direct our steps, we'll go tragically astray. That we depend on God for everything, whether we know it or not. And he supplies all that we need. So God's holiness, his power, They're not contingent on what we do. Rather, his holiness, his power, they flow down to us. God's grace, God completely secure in himself, delights in giving good gifts to humans. Common grace, 
a beautiful day like this. It's a gift from God. Particular grace, Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed that we might live eternally with him. And in verse 5, it just always strikes me, God treats us as an honored guest. Even as we go through the valley, God treats us as honored guests as he's leading us to the other side. Now, question for you. Have you ever had dinner at the Ritz-Carlton? I haven't either. Um, but I have some friends who have, and, and my brother and sister-in-law, they did uh, a few years ago for their anniversary, and I'm told they were treated like royalty. Um, the pastry chef sent them home with a tray of pedophores. I'm not entirely sure what pedophores are. I think pastries. Um, the waiter presented my sister-in-law with a, a rose. And I, I've since learned of what's called the Ritz-Carlton rule, which is it stipulates that any employee of the hotel, or the restaurant attached to the hotel, can spend up to $2,000 to make the guest's experience unforgettable or to correct something that might have gone wrong. It's the Ritz-Carlton rule. It's a relational approach, right? It's, it's a kind of opposed to a transactional approach. The Ritz doesn't necessarily just merely doesn't want just your money. They want your loyalty. They want your heart. All right, that makes me think of food and us think of food. Kids, this is a separate picture. Third doodle. Draw your favorite food. Tacos, cheeseburger, steak tartare, whatever trips your trigger. And listen to what verse 5 says here. You prepare a table before me. God, Yahweh, the sustainer of the universe, you invite, you, God, who created all things, you would invite me over for dinner and make me a feast? You, you would anoint my head with oil? That was a custom in the ancient world, a way of showing honor. God, you... The creator of the universe would, would show honor to me. That's why I said earlier, that, that blows my mind. My cup, it overflows. God is saying, have more. There's plenty. I'm going to bless you beyond what you can imagine. This is a celebration. The joy, it overflows. God prepares this table, anoints uh, my head with oil. My cup overflows, the psalmist writes. How can we say that? Well, we remember the Ritz-Carlton rule, like $2,000, right, to make it an unforgettable experience, to rescue a bad experience. God has spent much more than $2,000. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. Christianity is relational. It's not transactional. God doesn't want or need your money. He wants you, your heart, your loyalty, your fidelity. And I'd be remiss to not mention the, the sharp reality about this feast that we're told God is preparing for us. Notice that it takes place in the presence of my enemies, even in the valley. Okay, who, who are our enemies? Maybe immediately you think, well, yeah, I've, I've got like an arch enemy, maybe, uh, a horrible boss, uh, an angry uh, mother-in-law, um, 
I love my mother-in-law. That's, I didn't mean that. Um, <laughs> besides, um, behind every good man stands a surprised mother-in-law. Remember that one. Um, but we, we do have maybe enemies like around us, but we also have our ultimate enemy, the enemy of our souls, the accuser, Satan, the principalities and the powers. And so this passage here, it's a biblical version of scoreboard. No matter what is happening to us, we can say, no, look there. Look at the score. Jesus won. Jesus won. No matter what I'm going through now, no matter how I'm being treated now, sinned against now, even as we fight against our own flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, even as I fight against my own flesh, I can say, no, Jesus won. I'm losing the battle. Jesus won the war. Therefore, I don't have to meet anger with anger, hate with hate. I don't have to defend myself at all costs. In the end, we will be vindicated in Christ. That's the point. Verse 5, these enemies that we have to God, they're, they're nothing compared to God. Why should we worry about them? God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I will be vindicated. Ultimately, one day, I will be vindicated. You will be vindicated. That's where the story leads, even the valley of the shadow of death. It leads beyond the valley. So when we complain, when I complain, God, why are there enemies? Why am I such a fool? Why do I do so many stupid things? Why do people hurt me the way that they do? God says something remarkable. He says, sit down and eat. Even though the angel of death goes through the land of Egypt and there will be death all around in every house, because the blood of the lamb is over your door, it won't touch you. Oh, death, where is your sting? And we'll feast. Looks like Jesus on the night he was betrayed, eating that same feast as they had in Egypt. Even though men were hunting him down, waiting to torture him and nail him to a cross, he says to his disciples, sit, eat, I've got you. And then in verse 6, This is not just a one-off meal that we're promised, but it's eternal. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I, I wonder if that word follows is not as strong as it could or should be. The Hebrew suggests it's actually more like a pursuit. So to the contrary of enemies pursuing and overtaking us, we see that it's goodness and love, mercy that pursues us all the days of our lives. Charles Spurgeon stated it this way, these twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and my back. Just as when great princes go abroad, they must not go unattended, so it is with the believer. Goodness and mercy will follow always. All the days of my life. The dark days as well as the bright. The days of fasting as well as feasting. The dreary days of winter as well as the bright days of summer. Goodness supplies our needs and mercy blots out our sins. To paraphrase that, God has you. Got your back. It goes back to that commitment in verse 1. 
the pledge. I shall not be in want because the Lord is my shepherd. Now, we get into all kinds of messes um, that oftentimes we can't get out of on our own, but our good shepherd comes and he rescues us. And I can look at all the mistakes I've made, and, and, and a lot of those mistakes are not just like, oops, mistakes, they're like sin. Yeah, that's sin. And an affront to God, and I'm guilty, and stand condemned, for that's the penalty. But God in his grace has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's where we now live. In Christ, where there's redemption and forgiveness. And, and so we continue to sniff around darkness and sin. But God, he's tenacious. He won't let us go. And we say, well, I'm in trouble again, but here comes mercy and goodness. And this then leads to humility and gratitude for God. You would do this even though I get into a mess all the time. Here you come persisting, teaching, calling me by name, calling me to yourself, training us to, to hear his voice and showing us the way. And as we walk with him, we have this assurance that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And, and here the psalmist is referring to Bethab, the house of God. The house of God. The place of security where we won't ever have to worry about wolves because they'll be outside. At Bethab, there's always food and drink, care and comfort. But there's a deeper meaning here that's fulfilled ultimately in Christ by his death and resurrection. I can know that through faith in him, I am going to be in Bethab forever. No concern for enemies. There'll be no more. I won't have to worry about food and drink. The feast of the lamb will sustain me forever. I'll never need to worry about sin. I won't even be able to choose sin in Bethab. I will be with the Lord forever, see him face to face. All right, last picture. Kids, maybe you can do this in your landscape picture, but maybe you need a separate one. A house, your house maybe, or a safe house, a castle, the place where you go where you're secure. Draw a picture of that. And maybe there's trees outside and a swing set. And it's a place that, ah, oh, it's here that I'm safe. I'm secure, protected. Mom and dad are right here with me. All right, let's close with this. Back to Shy, the young lady whose special needs made her a target at school. So after that episode where Shai ran to her room crying and sobbing and finally told her mom what was going on at school, her mom reached out to a young man at, at Shai School who had been a helper a couple years prior at a Special Olympics event. And this kid, um, he knew Shai a little bit, and he happened to be the quarterback of the football team. And um, after Shai's mom talked to him and said what was going on, he said to his mom, don't worry, I, I got it. He enlisted the help of the other guys on the football team and said to Shai, we're going to take care of you now. We're going to sit with you at lunch 
so you don't have to sit alone. We'll walk with you between classes so nobody's going to mess with you. They weren't going to let her get picked apart by wolves. Now, I don't know if those guys were Christians, but they did something pretty extraordinary. How much more so? The ruler of heaven and earth will be the one who guides us, protects us, cares for us because he loves us. The good shepherd leading and protecting all the way home. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we need a shepherd um, every day, every moment. And you are our good shepherd. Lord Jesus, you lead us. Lord, you, you've led us from the very beginning, and we can look at the kids in the service, and Lord, you're leading them. Protect them. Guard their hearts, their minds, their bodies. Protect them. Protect us, Lord God. Restore us. Revive us. That we would continually look to you, O God. We would continually be drawn close to you, whether we're together in worship on a sunny day in Phoenixville or a dreary day in the depths of depression. Lord, draw us. Lead us. Guide us. We sit at your feet and we say, Lord, we want more of you. For you are good, and you've shown your love for us. And Lord Jesus, your death and your resurrection and your reign even now. So Lord, as we prepare to take this communal meal together, Lord God, would this be a part of our restoration, our renewal? Would you spiritually revive us through this simple meal? For the sake of your glory and for our joy in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.